On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Eichert and Lehman, we jump right into local college football news with Joe Castiglione supporting student-athletes getting election day off. It's big recruiting news for OU and OSU. We discuss the biggest national stories in college football, the details that were released about the six-week preseason plan, Penn State conducting a virtual combine for recruits, and Reggie Bush's return to USC. We wet the beak and look at some PGA Tour betting lines for the Charles Schwab Challenge this weekend. We give you our winners and losers of the week, and in keeping it local, we discuss a docu-series Russell Westbrook is producing. As always, we finish with your Twitter questions. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right? Our man Michael Hostig will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, June 11th. Now we're recording this on Wednesday night. But before we get to local and national college football news, Teddy, our sponsorship packet is complete. And we've, we've already gotten eight, eight nibbles. Well, nibbles, not bites, but nibbles, Teddy. Not shocking whenever you see the professional packet put together by one Gabe Eicher. Did, hey. Marketing, I, advertising, look out. I have no artistic skill in my entire <laughs> body, but I uh, consulted some people that helped me with that. Uh, now we're targeting August 3rd as our first episode with sponsorship reads. So if your business would like more information on sponsoring the podcast during football season, email Teddy and me at the Oklahoma Breakdown at gmail.com. That's the Oklahoma Breakdown at gmail.com. Now, that's enough of the sponsorship talk. Let's talk some football, shall we, Ted? Let's do it. I'm ready. We got some stuff cooking out there. We're, we, we're moving. Little bit at a time, we're moving in college football. So, let's start with some local college football news first. Uh, Joe Castiglione spoke to the media on a Zoom call on Wednesday and said some interesting things uh, about seating, about wearing masks. It's kind of the same things he's said all along the last couple of weeks. Still no change for the OU Army game. But one interesting thing that Josie said, and it is something that is gaining a lot of momentum in the college football world, is giving student-athletes – election day off now that's not something that has traditionally happened now of course you always encourage your players your student athletes to go vote it's the most american thing you can do right 
But Joe Castiglione said he'd support making Election Day, which this year is November 3rd, a mandatory day off for student athletes so they can vote, which, I mean, it sounds like a no-brainer, right? That sounds very reasonable. You want them to exercise their American right to go to the polls and vote. It makes perfect sense until you realize it's a Tuesday of a game week, Ted. Tuesday, the biggest work day in a college football practice week. Yeah. It's it's tough to give that entire day off to go vote. Um are they going to be in class or like what's what's the whole thing like if the campus is closed down and you can go vote during the the morning or whenever and maybe that's what they do because they do morning practices sometimes. Maybe they do stuff in the morning, give them the evening off to go vote. I don't know. It's tough to take a day off. Now, the other way to do that is you have to have a mandatory day off, whether it is uh, Sunday, Monday, whatever that day is, which I actually think their day is Monday, isn't it, that they take off right now? Yeah. So if if that's the case, then you get work in on Sunday – you move your your off day to Tuesday, and instead of being off Monday, you get working on Monday. I mean, uh, is it perfect? No, but it's doable. And in the grand scheme of things, is it gonna is it gonna change a whole heck of a lot? Probably not. Yeah, and and when you look at it, uh, for OU fans that are curious, OU will be going to Morgantown that week to take on what I'm anticipating to be a very improved. West Virginia team led by Neil Brown. But I, I just thought it was really interesting because when, when you think about it practically, it, it makes all the sense in the world, right? Especially with what's going on in the country right now, you want these young people to be able to made, make their voice be heard at the ballot box. You know, that's, that's what we're hearing right now. And that, that's the way it should be. That's America. But I can't imagine – the college football coaches aren't going to find a way to work around this. And I, I'm all for student-athletes, uh, in particular football players, having that day off. But that's going to be their off day for the week. It's, it's not like that they're going to get less work in that game week. It, there's just no way, Teddy. Not deep into the season. Deep in November, no way. We'd almost have more luck – getting the federal government to move the election day uh, to like to a day that makes more sense for college football than we would convincing college football coaches to shut down a practice day. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's, um, it's not ideal. It's something to work through. And what you would like is that everyone in your conference, you know, at least – makes an agreement to where we're not losing ground against our opponent, you know, because that at the end of the day, that's what you don't want. You don't want to be losing ground. You would like for everyone to be able to look at each other and say, Hey, let's do this as a, as a conference. This will be the, the day off this week and you know, on you go, but boy, you know how difficult that can be getting everyone to agree on anything at all. So I think they'll probably do it. They'll probably figure out a way, you know, um, with, with college football right now, the programs are losing 
more and more of their um, authority to make decisions like this. If the guys on the team say, we're going to, we want off to vote on Tuesday, there's really nothing that you can do about it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like if they're that committed and that's what they want to do and they're making their voice heard. I mean, can you imagine um, the outcry if you find out that the guys wanted to be able to have Tuesday off so they could go vote? They weren't allowed to. They had to go to practice, and they weren't able to um, weigh in on their government's election. That wouldn't go over too well. That would not go over too well. And normally, at least when I was playing, Tuesday was your full padded day. I mean, it was, it was your most intense day of practice of the week. Now, I'm sure coaches would be able to shift things around, but there are a few big-time games during that week. Clemson, Notre Dame. Nice. OU will be taking on West Virginia. Oklahoma State gets Baylor. And how about this one? Alabama goes to Baton Rouge to take on LSU. Mm. Yeah, that is some big ones out there. I, I think so, the Clemson-Notre Dame game is, is going to be interesting. That one's going to be – I think Notre Dame's going to be a good football team. And as we've seen, Clemson's kind of messed around a little bit during the regular season. Um, but, yeah, those, those are going to be some important games there. It's going to be interesting to see what some of those, those big programs that – can't afford a loss, see what they think and see what they do. Yeah, and another one out on the West Coast, USC, Oregon, that week as well. So, hey, we'll, we'll see if they get that entire the day off. All year. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see if they get that entire day off. Um, some other big news when it comes to local college football is in the world of recruiting, Ted. Caleb Williams, the number one quarterback in the class of 2021, has set his commitment announcement date. And to a lot of Oklahomans' terror, it is for the 4th of July. Unbelievable. Go back a couple of years, and I am included in this. Oklahomans don't exactly trust the 4th of July anymore. Ted, hypothetically speaking, you could end up the morning of 4th of July finding out that the franchise you love's best player is leaving to go to a team that just beat them, and then you start drinking vodka at 9.30 in the morning in California. <laughs> hypothetically speaking. I, I know. I remember exactly where I was. Uh, my wife and I were driving back from my family's uh, house for the you know we were driving back was it Monday wasn't it and that what day it was I don't even remember that's how drunk I got that day and we're driving back and I'm driving and, and my wife's in the passenger seat scrolling through her phone and she goes oh my gosh Kevin Durant's leaving I was like don't screw with me like that right now and she's like no he's leaving and uh I was just you talk about going from uh zero to angry boy that was uh, that was pretty intense. And here's the other thing with Caleb Williams. So correct me if I'm wrong on this, but he said he's got one more visit with LSU and he's going to give them one last chance, right? And I'm just like, if, if, if there's a school I'm, I'm leaning towards and this is where I'm most comfortable, 
I give them the last shot, right? Not you. You would think that that's that's logical to me. That that makes sense to me. Is if you really loved a place, you would probably want to go there last to make sure, like, yeah, 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 this is the place for me. But I I don't know. I, I mean, I I don't know what to tell the kid. He's he's the biggest recruit in that recruiting class. I guess you just got to let him do him if you're Lincoln Riley and the Oklahoma staff and hope that all that the foundation you've laid is good enough because it's down to OU Maryland because remember he's a DC kid and then LSU clearly LSU just had Joe Burrow go number one but Joe Brady is also gone so I don't know were you nervous about him giving LSU another look Ted yes of course (laughs) I'm nervous about it are you kidding me I mean for I mean, there's multiple reasons. Um, what they've got Miles Brennan set to to take over there, and there's been people say some good things about him. But you know, Spencer Rattler is a, a five star. Was what the best dual threat quarterback in his class? You know, I, a lot of people think Spencer Rattler is going to be really, really good, and Caleb Williams most likely could go to LSU and have a great shot at starting next year. He's, you know, Spencer Rattler could, you know, not live up to the hype and he would have a chance to start here, but most likely he's not going to have a chance to, or he's not, he's not going to. So that's what worries me is LSU telling him that, Oh yeah, you come here. You're our guy, true freshman. You're going right out there and you're going to, go play against the best in the country we our guy just went number one so i mean yeah i know oklahoma's had that but you know we can offer you the the pretty much the same thing without having to sit a year so yeah it it definitely worries me absolutely it worries me anytime you give a sec team the last chance i mean it's not it's not what you want but at least he can't go see a game at night no right, or at least right now, as it stands, he can't go see a game at Death Valley at night before he commits on the 4th of July, right? He can't go do no that before then. So That's the good thing. I, and I will just say this. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying SEC does have a reputation, Gabe, if you know what I'm talking about. I – I know exactly what you're saying. You're, you're saying they're cheaters, and that's fine. You can say that. You're, you're, you're not saying it. I'll say it. A lot of people think they're cheaters. It's fine. Yep. It's a different, uh, different world down there, which is fine. They love them some football, and they will go to great lengths. They use churches, by the way, to uh, <laughs> get some players. Now, one note for Oklahoma State recruiting, which I found pretty interesting, uh, the Cowboys got commitments from two four-star wide receivers, Blaine Green and Bryson Green, out of Allen, Texas. Uh, Allen, Texas, one of the big football factories in the country. Are they brothers? Yep. Are they twins? Yep. These guys are identical twins, Teddy. Uh, and I talked to Casey Dunn this week, actually, and he's pretty big on these guys and they've produced some big time wide receivers. They've produced some really good playmakers 
out wide there in Stillwater. And now that Casey Dunn has taken over as offensive coordinator, seems like he's probably going to bring in some big-time wide receivers. And you get identical twins that are studs at Allen. That's, that's a pretty good haul for Mike Gundy, and I'm sure that they will play a big role in that offense there for Oklahoma State. I know Mike Holder at Oklahoma State's probably upset that they're not seven stars, but um, if anyone has a, a great reputation at taking some lower recruited players and turning them into fantastic wide receivers, it's Oklahoma State. They've done a, a great job at that. So they've had, I mean, they've put together a decent little class. I think some publications have them, what, top 35 or so, which is kind of where they typically float around. So, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State's doing some pretty good things right there on the, on the recruiting trail, and it's really just what the Big 12 needs, right? A couple more wide receivers to worry about. Yep, big, strong, fast wide receivers. They're, this conference is kind of starting to collect those guys. All right, Ted, let's move on to the big stories um, nationally in the college football world, and it, it seems like the plan is set for the preseason. Now, the NCAA Division I Football Oversight Committee is going to finalize that plan today, and then it will need to be approved by the D1 Council in a meeting on June 17th. It's going to be really interesting to see how this works out because the schedule is different depending on if you kick off August 29th and Week 0 or Labor Day weekend. Let's look at the Labor Day weekend kickoff timeline because that's what the majority of teams in college football have. That's when they start their seasons, including OU and Oklahoma State. So required workouts would start July 13th. Now there's been a discussion, should they push that back to July 20th? That's one of the details that they're working out today. I think it should be the 13th, so you have a nice little build-up to what they are calling enhanced training camp, Ted. So you start with required workouts, which means you get six hours a week with the strength staff and then two hours a week with your coaches for film. So that's what a required workout is. So that would start July 13th. You get those eight hours. It takes you to July 24th when you can start enhanced training camp, which bumps you to 20 hours a week. You get six for the strength staff, two for the coaches for film, and then you get an hour-long walkthrough practice each day and an hour of daily team meetings. But in the walkthrough, players can't wear helmets or pads, but you can use a football. I told you, Teddy, I told you they weren't going to let these kids do anything. I was right. You were wrong. Suck it. Well, hey, I, um, you were right. I do think it's interesting. You underestimated the softness of the leadership. (laughs) I knew how these people think, and you're over there just Billy Badass and still just flexing your traps I still have not learned my lesson maybe at some point I will but I mean it's interesting isn't it um six hours a week with the strength staff two hours with coaches for film um I mean six hours a week with strength staff is when you think about it it's 
four, you would probably assume it would be four hour and a half workouts, right? Monday, yeah. Tuesday, take Wednesday off, and then Thursday, Friday. I mean, that's, and I guess that's, that's kind of how the structure was for, for us going through workouts. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's just, it, it's interesting. And the, I can tell you hate camp, it. Just tell, tell me no, no, why no, you I, hate it. I don't hate it. Um, I, I think it's fine. I think that, uh, two hours with coaches for film. I mean, I think it's all fine. I do think it's all fine, but here's my problem is it's a, it's a short window and I think they should have more time with strength coaches. I want guys in really good shape before they go into this training camp that we're about to talk about. It's going to be brutal. And if you, if your guys are in excellent shape, excellent condition, going into these brutal training camps, you're going to have tons of injuries. It's just how it's going to happen. So that's, that's my only problem with it. In the grand scheme of things, is it fine? Yeah, it's probably going to be fine. But I wish they had more time to get into uh, some better conditioning. I mean, hour and a half workout four times a week is, is probably going to be enough. But I just I, – I wish they had a little bit more. That's it. Yeah, and then you would assume that there would be some player-driven stuff on Wednesday, you know, seven on seven. Seven, yeah. O-line versus D-line. So uh, that's the first two weeks of the six-week plan is that enhanced training camp schedule with the workouts and then the walkthroughs in daily team meetings. So that transitions you from July 24th to August 7th when you start normal training camp. And that is unlimited hours until classes start. That is when you are there all damn day I don't know if there's really a way to prepare for the grind that training camp is but I guess the walkthroughs will get you mentally and physically prepared but is that enough time Ted you've got the two weeks of the enhanced training camp with the workouts and the walkthroughs and then that leads you up right to four weeks of camp to get you ready for the season Four weeks of camp is a lifetime. That's I mean, eternity. It, it really is. It, did they issue any practice guidelines? Is it going to be standard training camp? I mean, where one a day practice and you can't do double sessions, stuff like that? The way that it was worded from what the NCAA Football Oversight Committee put out there was that it would be a normal training camp. So there would not be any adjustments you know, allowing them to add something else. As far as I understood it now, maybe they make that adjustment when they formally announce it tonight. But as far as I understand, the enhanced training camp is where they feel like they added extra time for the coaches and they're just going to keep training camp the same that it's been the last couple of years. I mean, they added what? an an hour-long walkthrough with no football, pads, helmet, no... They, no, no, no. They get a football. Oh, they now can they don't, use a football. Okay. They can use a football. They can't use pads or a helmet, which it's going to turn into just a bloodbath of a walkthrough 
guys right. are going to be going way too hard. We've all been part of those walkthroughs before practice where people are going full speed, essentially, and it's just terrible. So, in my opinion, we, we lost spring practice and we're not making it up at all. It doesn't really look like it. I mean, you can't. We, we missed 15 practices that are full on, full two, two and a half hour practices, and those have vanished and been replaced by a couple of one hour unpadded, you know, supposed to not be full. They're, they're called walkthroughs. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's quite a bit for teams that are trying to work in new quarterbacks, uh, new offensive and defensive coordinators, you know, that's, that's going to be a lot. That's going to be tough. I mean, four weeks is still plenty of time, but that's a missing out on that spring is pretty big. Just think about young offensive and defensive linemen. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how are you supposed to get better when you're doing walkthroughs without pads? I mean, someone tell me, Someone tell me how you were supposed to enhance your skill set as an offensive lineman when you don't have pads on. Now, I, I get it. You can work on your footwork. You can work on your hand placement. But using your pads and manipulating another guy's pads are essential to playing the position. The same for defensive line. Using your head and hands – and knowing how to manipulate an offensive lineman's shoulder pads, that, that's a huge part of playing defensive line. What is going to happen to the development of these young defensive linemen and offensive linemen? Because essentially, they got to figure it all out during the training camp portion of this six-week plan. Because you can't wear pads until then. So these guys will have gone from when the season ended for everyone in December or January, and they will not have really put pads on because everyone missed spring ball, they will not have put pads on until August. That's insane. Yeah. How, how is a young offensive lineman supposed to get better? I, I, listen, you can, you can work on your footwork. You can work on your pass sets. There, there's ways you can get better. You can understand the concepts better mentally. But you get better, especially as a young player, practicing. And not only – people think it's just the physical stuff, right? It's just your hands and your feet and moving a guy. Listen, as a young player, half the battle is confidence. And that, for me, spring ball was so important when I started playing offensive line – because it's where I gained confidence. It's where I learned that I could play with these guys, that I could hold up physically. And as you gain that confidence, you become a better football player. I mean, you get it in your head. You're like, hey, I belong out here. And there's all kinds of players at every position that weren't able to come to that realization during the spring. They're still coming into this session now with you know this six week preseason model they're going to come in going yeah you know i i feel like i can do it but i don't know i can do it and that can really set a player back we always talk about the mental 
aspect of football, that confidence is key, Ted. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think sometimes this gets thrown around a little bit too much, but I think this year it's actually very relevant. I mean, you know as well as I do, whenever you come off of a bowl game, okay, there's a little bit of time in winter workouts. And in winter workouts, there's a kind of a feeling out period. It's like um, it's like if you've ever seen a, a litter of puppies, they're going to figure out who the alpha male is, right? It's going to be a ton of fighting, and they're going to play and scrap and and eventually they're going to figure out who the alpha of the, of the litter is. And it's the same thing in winter workouts. You kind of, there's, there's a lot of the leaders are gone. They've gone to the NFL. They've graduated. They're out. So it's a new football team that's starting from scratch. You got to figure out who your leaders are. And that starts in winter. And then in spring, when you put the pads on and you start practicing, that's where you figure out who those guys are going to be. And then in the summer, you solidify it through, summer workouts well we've essentially skipped the biggest part of that and we're going to be showing up here at the end with not really necessarily knowing who your leaders are going to be and whenever you're breaking in a new quarterback I mean that that can mean quite a bit usually at this point in time you've already the team has already decided like who their guy's going to be who their quarterback is and and how good they think he's going to be and how much they're going to rally behind him yeah not an ideal situation, but it it's a situation that every team's going to be in. That's so. a good thing is luckily we're not the only one going through it. And whenever you feel like you've got a better coaching staff and better players, advantage you. And luckily for Oklahoma, they haven't moved the start date for classes. Now, schools like Notre Dame – they have. So remember, the football oversight committee said you can have unlimited hours until classes start. The oversight committee decided against extending unlimited hours for schools that are starting early because of the coronavirus. Those schools, Ted, are shit out of luck. Once classes start, for a school like Notre Dame who is starting two weeks early, they're going to start August 10th. Once classes start, those schools then have to abide by the 20-hour rule that always applies during the season when the kids are in school. That is not going to make a guy like Brian Kelly. I know he's doing a bunch of yoga now and he's calmed down. and he, That's what he says, right? But that is not going to make a guy like Brian Kelly very happy. It's not, um, and it's a Notre Dame team that they got a shot at making a college football playoff this year. Returning quarterback, he's been there for several years now with the third-year starter. Um, they got a chance to be a pretty good football team. <laughs> Notre Dame, football is so important up there, it would shock me if Notre Dame – said, hey, you know what? After all, we've decided things are looking better. We're going to start at regular time, start fall classes at, at a regular time. <laughs> no, but, I mean, that is – that's a major disadvantage. If for two weeks you can only go 20 hours when everyone else is uh, getting 10 hours and, a day. <laughs> and I've heard, I've heard some people say 
Well, it's really not that big of a deal because 20 hours is about what you're doing if the kids aren't in class. Listen, that is the biggest load of bullshit I've ever heard. You are up there. When it's training camp, when you're in unlimited hour training camp mode, you are up there from 7 in the morning to only God knows when at night. You're lucky if you're out by 9. Usually it's kind of – I was like, that was always the goal. If we can be home by 9, I'll be fine. Now, Coach Stoops would let us out early every once in a while, and you thought it was the best thing in the world. But to think that a team that can only do 20 hours isn't at a disadvantage when everyone else can do unlimited, that's just ridiculous. It's, it's just not true. Right well, now, maybe – if you get there at seven in the morning, let, I mean, and they get there earlier than that because they start practice at like 6 a.m. now is something crazy that, that they started doing. Yeah, I'm out you, on that. Ugh. Yeah. Let's say you get there at seven in the morning and you leave at nine. Okay. And in between that, you'll have a little bit of time off here and there. What are you doing on your time off? You are curled in a ball in a corner by an air conditioning vent is what you're doing. Well, you're getting rest, which is the most important thing during yeah. training camp. You're hydrating. You're, you're eating some snacks or you're working on your body. You're in the training room having the physical therapist work on you. I mean, you're doing productive things when it comes to helping you play football at a high level. And you're not sitting in class. No. That's what I'm saying is like, I mean, that 20-hour rule, like, imagine trying to have a training camp to where during any of your down period you're trying to go take notes in a, in a class. I mean, it's just, no, it is, it's a big disadvantage, and it's not the same as what teams are doing in their unlimited hour training camp. That is horribly false. You're putting in every bit of a 12-hour day, at least. Oh, for sure. At, at the minimum, I would say a 12 hour day. Now they let you eat and they give you a couple breaks, you know, to yeah, take your so mind nice. off things. But <laughs> they allow us they, to eat and drink. They, they, let, <laughs> they let you do the things you need to do to survive as a human being. But yeah, so there's going to be some teams that, you know, their, their universities, they've moved up the academic calendar to try to be done by Thanksgiving. And it's going to, you know, it's going to be a disadvantage. We'll, we'll see if it ends up biting any of them. Now, said also, normally this time of year, there's lots of camps going on. And, and that's where schools can evaluate prospects. Teddy, do you know anyone that has gone to a camp and maybe that ended up working out for them and that's how they ended up in a school and ended up becoming one of the best players in school history? Or any, any, does that ring a bell at all? I've heard a story or two before, but I can't, I just can't figure out a name. No, I mean, Hey, I'll tell you for me, the, the camps were, that was everything. That was it. That was the only, only chance I, I had. Now I think this day and age coaches have a much better grasp on a lot of players out there. There's a, there's a lot of other ways for these players to get their, their film and different things in front of coaches. but. There is, there's no doubt that there is no better way to evaluate a guy than seeing him in the flesh, seeing him run, seeing him move, uh, seeing how he responds to your coaching, 
uh, see what he looks like putting him through your drills and just having a conversation with the guy in a work environment. I don't think there's any, any better way to evaluate players. So I, I think this hurts. I think it's, it's just making the process more difficult trying to get the right players in. So, yeah, I mean, and, and they, they're doing some things to, to try and help that, some of the virtual stuff, but still there's, there's no replacement for being with, in the moment with your eyes on a guy in the flesh and watching him work out. Yeah, well, with the dead period extended through July 31st, none of these camps are happening on campus. But Penn State has gotten pretty creative. Uh, they're doing a virtual combine for high school prospects. And it's pretty impressive. They're doing it through a website and through Twitter. There's a video for exactly what they want from the kids and even an instructional guide to walk walk them through it step by step. Um, And it's all the classic combine stuff. Height, weight, broad jump, vert, bench press, short shuttle, 40. They've got some flexibility stuff they want the kids to do as well. I, I'm not going to lie. I like it. I like the creativity. Uh, I know that a lot of people have thought that colleges are just going to go more based off kids game tape. I still think high school game tape is one of the hardest things to evaluate because you just don't know how good any of the kids on the field are. You think, you know, but it's really just hard to know for sure. So I look at what Penn state's doing. And I think it's really creative. Uh, I I think that this could work now. It's not ideal, but Penn State has gone as far as telling kids the camera angles that they want for all these videos. So they've been very detailed. I mean, what do you think, Teddy? I feel like this is Penn State making the best out of a, a bad situation where you can't have any kids on campus at your camp. The first thing I thought of was I'm finding a way to cheat the tape measure. Um, I'm trying to figure out a way to run a 39-yard 40 uh, to bench 215 pounds instead of 225. Go get those I, Looney Tune weights where yeah. it's like, did you see this kid? What, what are they bitch at high school camps? 185? They still do 185? I think they do 225. Wow. Gosh. I mean – uh, you think it's going to throw a red flag up? This kid, you know, he weighs 200 pounds, but he did 225, 75 times. Pretty Can impressive. you believe it? Didn't even sweat. Didn't even sweat. No, I, I think it is cool. I think it's awesome. Um, you know, not just for the universities, but, I mean, the, that's the other side of this. These kids, you know, it's been tougher to get in front of college coaches to be recruited, to be evaluated. And this is giving those guys an extra opportunity to put some stuff in front of some coaches that they know they're going to be looking at. So uh, I think it's good all the way around because it, man, it's, it's been a different year, man. Think about, you know, um, think about some kids that were supposed to go play baseball this spring and just some different where you were supposed to get in front of coaches and you missed those opportunities. People have had to find different ways to evaluate talent. And I think this is pretty cool what Penn state's doing. I just, I really, really hope that there's some high school kids that just send in ridiculous videos to Penn State. <laughs> there's no doubt. I, 
I, I'm sure like, you know, you, they send it to your buddy, you find out the login, you're like wearing a, I don't know, a, a leotard or something. You're like smoking cigarettes in it. I don't, I don't know what kids will do, but I, I really hope that that happens because that, that's funny. We should submit a, yes, <laughs> we should submit. A who should we, I, you know who, you know who would do it. And I know he's recovering from the Rona right now, but our, our boy Eddie Radovsevich would be a prime <laughs> candidate to send in a con, a, a combine uh, tape to Penn state. I, oh I think he gosh, would thrive in that situation. That's so funny. That would be great. Right, one more big story uh, on the national college football scene, Ted, before we get to our segments. And that is Reggie Bush is back at USC. His dissociation from USC is over. All it took was a two-year postseason ban, 14 vacated victories, including the 2004 national title, the loss of 30 scholarships, and a 10-year mandated dissociation period. That all, that's all it took for USC to acknowledge that Reggie Bush is a living, breathing human being that did incredible things for their football team and made their university a boatload of money. That's all. Oh, yeah, and that Heisman Trophy they took from him as well. Unbelievable. This, the whole thing, you know, it was just uh, – Reggie Bush, I don't know how he – I haven't seen how he's responded to this yet, but I have a feeling he'd handle it a lot better than I would. I would probably tell Southern Cal to get stuffed, right? If they're like, hey, welcome back. Come on. I'd be like, I don't think so. We only disowned you for a decade. It's fine, man. We're all good, bro. And just like that, we're going to tweet out a highlight video and we're supposed to forget that it ever happened, right? I mean, unbelievable. I The whole thing to me was was just really shocking from the very beginning, right? Because we're talking about an agent through his parents, right? We're not talking about anyone through the university. Um, and they got absolutely destroyed. I mean, it, it, they still haven't made it back from that. They still haven't. There's been a couple of flash years out there, but for the most part, it, it's, it's wrecked Southern Cal, and in turn, eventually it's wrecked the Pac-12. That, that whole situation that went down. So it's brutal. I'm glad that he's back, and I'm glad that they're, you know, getting rid of the uh, dissociation, but I got to tell you, um, if I'm Reggie Bush, it really probably doesn't change a whole lot in my mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll handle it well. Um, I, I would assume that they will try to make it up to him in some form or fashion, and, and he'll be involved there at USC. I mean, when it comes down to it, that guy – is a recruiting machine, I assume. I mean, just think, e- even now, if a kid gets a call from Reggie Bush, that's a big deal. T- Ted, he was the most electric football player of my lifetime when it comes to I college agree. football. No disrespect to Adrian Peterson. It-, it was just a little different, right? And all of you out there going, no, Barry Sanders, listen, I wasn't alive in 1988. I'm sorry. He was must-see TV. I mean, there was guys that would fight each other 
to wear number five on their football team because of Reggie Bush. And I watched him. And then I ended up being teammates with him in Buffalo. We lifted together. Guy's strong as an ox, by the way. But just a great guy. And I'm excited that he gets to go back to USC. I've always thought it was the dumbest thing ever. I always thought that he got mistreated there. And yeah, I know that his parents accepted cash and travel expenses and they got a house, including what was it like 10 grand to furnish the house. By the way, building a house right now, furniture is so expensive. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, it is. $10,000 that gets you a futon. Yeah, that gets you maybe a really nice, maybe a nice sectional. And the fact that his parents or whoever accepted that money, I can guarantee you one thing. They were drastically underpaid because Reggie Bush was the man and he made that university a fortune. So uh, I'm glad. I'm glad. I think that, you know, that relationship will get mended seems to be headed that way, but yeah, 10 years, that seems like an awfully long punishment. That's a long time. No, it's brutal. Um, 10 years to, you know, I mean, he spent a lot of time in the NFL and, and obviously that makes it a lot, it doesn't sting nearly as bad because you've got stuff to do, right? It's not like you're, 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 you're just dying to get back there because, you know, you want to be around your former university, but, you know, as he's transitioned out of the NFL and into a, a different role, I mean, I'm sure it means a lot to him now that he's done with football that, yeah, I can go back uh, where I played, be celebrated, watch uh, watch that team from the sidelines or go in and talk to them and be around the university. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great thing. I think it's probably big for him. And, I mean, we'll see how he responds to it. And, you know, he may feel like you – know, maybe he does feel like he wronged the university. I, I don't know, but – if that's the case, maybe he feels like he can repay it by helping them out in whatever way that he can. And you're right, Reggie Bush could be one hell of a recruiter. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he will be – what's the word they use now? The NFL teams, they use the word ambassador. Yeah. Uh, I would not be surprised if Reggie Bush ended up, in addition to his TV role, right, as an ambassador for USC, a.k.a., hey, call this running back and tell him to come play here. <laughs> Which you get a call from Reggie, Reggie Bush, your high school running back, you're you're probably going to listen pretty carefully and if take you get that a visit call to from USC. Joe Burrow, if you're Caleb Williams, do you go to LSU? Don't answer. I mean, Don't answer, Caleb Williams. <laughs> Don't do it. Does it? Does a Joe Burrow call get nullified by a Baker Mayfield call? Hmm. I don't know. Burrow's really hot right now. He's, He's hot. very hot right now, but. It definitely gets nullified if you get the combo FaceTime of Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield, the little three-way FaceTime to to Caleb Williams. Now, I don't know if that's against the rules. I don't care. We got to do whatever is within the rules. I can't stop thinking about Will Ferrell in – He's so hot right now. (laughs) What's my movie's that? Uh, Hansel. Zoolander. Zoolander. He's so hot right now. Mugatu. (laughs) now ted let's move on to our segments and since it is thursday 
you know we got to wet the beak and talk a little sports gambling. And there's a sport that is back this weekend, a sport that both of us enjoy watching and playing a little bit. I I enjoy watching more than I do playing. Uh, But the PGA Tour is making its triumphant return this weekend with the Charles Schwab Challenge. They're at the Colonial Country Club in Fort Worth. Now, one thing about this, they've been off for so long that this field is stacked. Yep. 16 of the top 20 players in the world. Unfortunately, no Tiger Woods, but the top five players in the world will be there. And listen to these featured groups for the first two rounds. You've got Rory, John Rahm, and Brooks Kepka. You've got Ricky Fowler, Jordan Spieth, and Justin Thomas. Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, and Dustin Rose. I mean, so yeah. you've got some serious talent in the featured groups. And I'm, I'm really excited to watch it now. I, I wonder if there's a betting line if some guy dies of heat stroke because Fort Worth in July isn't exactly ideal golf weather, but, you know, they'll manage. But the winner gets $1.35 million, Ted. Love it. There's going to be a lot of eyes on this tournament for um, for the Charles Schwab Challenge at Colonial. It's probably going to have more viewers than any PGA tournament in a long time, aside from a major with Tiger Woods in it. So I think it's going to be awesome. I love these groups. Um, it's going to be cool to watch. It's going to be fun. It's going to feel like we're back to normal just a little bit more. We're inching closer and closer. I got to tell you, there's a couple of guys that I really like. I like Rory, okay, I like him a lot. I like Justin Thomas, and I like Dustin Johnson. Those would be the three guys that I would circle right now that I really like leading into this thing. Oh, really? You like three of the top five players in the world? Way, way to go out on the limb there. Uh, now, let, let's look at some of the lines uh, from William Hill Sportsbook. They've got Rory McIlroy at 9-1, to one, just a little note. Rory hasn't finished outside of the top five in a tournament in nearly a calendar year. Something to think about. I know he doesn't play a ton, but the guy has been on a tear. John Rahm has got the second best odds at 13 to 1, followed by Justin Thomas at 16 to 1. Then you've got Webb Simpson, Bryson DeChambeau, and Dustin Johnson sitting at 25 to 1, and Ricky Fowler and Jordan Spieth sitting at 30 to one so you said you like rory which i mean it's it's not like you're getting great value there but his ability to drive the ball in this golf course it It just god i hope he's been putting in his backyard or something during the quarantine because that's been his big problem the last couple of years um yeah but i like rory and i really like dustin johnson i i think um uh, the length off the tee is going to be good for him uh, iron play has been pretty good. Justin Thomas seems like he's, you know, he's just kind of a do it all type of guy. Um, but those are my picks. Yeah. I know I'm taking a lot of the front runners, but I cannot stand DeChambeau. Can't stand watching him play. Uh, cannot stand <laughs> Jordan Don't think, you're, don't oh think you're alone on the DeChambeau, which I'm not going to lie. I like him at 25 to one. And, and this, this is why. All these other guys are cool. 
right? You, you, you look at Rory seems like a pretty decent guy, popular guy. I don't know much about John Rahm, but Justin Thomas, I mean, it's well-documented. He likes to have a good time. He's a Bama dude. We know that Ricky Fowler and Jordan Spieth will get after it a little bit. So how much golf have, have the fun guys been playing? The nerd DeChambeau, he's probably been getting in rounds. Yeah, that is a good point. Dustin, I, I, has anyone even done a welfare check on Dustin Johnson recently? Hopefully I mean, he hasn't <laughs> fallen back into his old ways. And I saw – I bet you Brooks Kepka hasn't played – a single round of golf. I saw he was he, hurt, wasn't he, for a he, while? Yeah, I think it was what is like a back or shoulder or something. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget, Brooks Kepka has a mustache now, so only God knows what's going to happen with him. He's going to be so muscle bound from doing bench press and curls in his garage for the last three months that he's, his swing's not even going to be able to get around. No, I, I think it's going to be fun. Um, I hope Jordan Spieth gets dead last of the entire field, doesn't make the uh, cut. Unlikely since on the way. he gets to I, probably sleep at his house and has played really, really well at Colonial in the past. But, you know, you can, you can dream. I know that you are not particularly fond of the Longhorns. Do I have to watch him uh, whenever he's not in the fairway, walk over to his ball, get down on all fours, look at the lie, check every blade of grass around it, run back out into the fairway, jump up and down to see if he can get a look at the pin, walk back, look at the ball, argue with his caddy, argue with the rules official, walk back into the fairway, walk back over to his ball. It's the most annoying thing ever. I can't All while it. wearing Under Armour. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. I... I don't know. I don't know, but uh, CBS Sports' Cal Porter, he's got some of his favorite props are DeChambeau to finish top 10. That's at plus 275. Cal Porter's also got uh, – he likes Rory or Justin Thomas to win. You can get that at 5-1. to one. And bad. Spieth, he likes Spieth to be the first-round leader you can get that at some pretty solid value, 45 to 1. I might bet that just to root for him to totally fall apart on the weekend. That may be worth it. Not a big Jordan Spieth guy. I feel, <laughs> I, I feel like we've established that. This is the first time we've really talked about golf on this podcast, and I've learned now to just bring up how great Jordan Spieth is every time we talk about golf, just to see how you respond. Oh my God. But it, yep, it, it's it's going to be fun. It's an ongoing thing with me, but yeah, it's going to be awesome. I cannot wait. It's going to be exciting. The fact that we've got this many names in the field is going to be excellent. I wish Tiger was playing, but we'll be okay without him. There's a bunch of big names out there. It's going to be fun. Yeah, and he, he doesn't have great odds, but Phil Mickelson's in this as well. So uh, I'm sure some people are still – Hey, big Phil fans. Just, I don't care. Mic him up and have a channel dedicated to Phil Mickelson just talking the entire time. Just, just zoom in on those calves, baby. That's all I ask. <laughs> all right, Ted, let's move on to our winners and losers of the week. Like our man Toby Key says, we got winners, we got losers. Who you got as your winner of the week? Winner of the week's NASCAR. Um, after a, um, 
a call to ban the Confederate flag at their events. Uh, they finally put out a statement earlier today. They said they, they want their events to be welcoming to everyone. They want it to be a, a unifying event where everyone can get behind the, the tradition in the community of racing. And so they've made the decision to, to ban the Confederate flag, which um, I think is admirable. I think it's, um, you know, I, I don't understand the interest in the Confederate flag. A, um, I don't understand. And people <laughs> that want other people to think they're racist doesn't make sense to me. I'll just put it that way. I, I don't, I know a lot of people say, no, it's heritage. Well, guys, you got to realize that that flag is as close. I, I mean, it is closely associated with slavery and yeah. the fact that people still fly the Confederate flag. I, I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't add up. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not from the South, you know. I so I don't get it. I I honestly don't care about it at all whatsoever. Um, it, it's NASCAR's in an interesting situation. So they're also my loser of the week. Oh. Because winner and loot. Okay, this is a first in the history of the podcast. I think you've the got winner and the loser. Yeah, explain. So they have been put in an unfortunate position where, um, whenever the topic was brought to them because of recent events, you know, they're kind of put in a position where they had to make this move, and. NASCAR has a block of fans, okay? And we know that there's a block, or there's a section of that block that feels adamantly that the Confederate flag is a part of their heritage. Well, this decision is going to piss them off, right? And they are going to lose a block of their fans. Now, are they always going to, or are they going to never watch NASCAR again? doubtful right they'll probably be mad for half of the race and then tune back in and you well, know whatever that that's my thing if if you're a nascar fan you love it because of you know the thrill it, it if you give up your fandom because they've banned the confederate flag well then frankly you weren't a fan right it's like it's like people that they say oh well we i haven't watched the nfl since colin Kaeper, kaepernick took a knee well well, then you weren't really an NFL fan because it's not like he's taking a knee on first down. Right. So it's – they're going to lose fans. They're not going to gain any fans. People that weren't watching NASCAR are not going to tune into NASCAR now. I mean, NASCAR is a very, like, specialized sport that people are either into or they're not. So I don't think they're going to gain any fans. And the other reason that – I put them in the loser section is because, you know, typically in this country, whenever you tell people they can't do something, what do they usually do? <laughs> they go out and they do it even more than they ever would have. So I am guessing that at the next event, there will be more Confederate flags flown by fans than there ever has been at any nascar event before you you think the nascar fans are going to protest 
by flying more Confederate flags? Absolutely. Gosh. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe everyone abides by it because I don't even necessarily know that NASCAR has legal footing to ban the flag. Now, they could ban their employees or anyone associated with NASCAR, but I don't know that you can necessarily just ban someone from flying a Confederate flag because people have tried it for a long time and it's been thrown out of the Supreme Court almost every single time. I have an interesting question and we all know we are maybe not know, but we've seen people right. That have a Confederate flag tattoo. Are those NASCAR fans that have the Confederate flag inked on them, which still is an unbelievable life decision in my opinion. Wow. But are they going to be politely asked to leave? Because if the Confederate flag can't be there, right? If it's, if it's on your arm, you got to go. Here's how it's going to go. All right, sir, I'm going to scan your ticket. Beep. Okay, pull the shirt up. Let's take a look. See if you got any Confederate pop, flag pop tattoos the anywhere. Ah, pop the I top. see it right there on the back shoulder. Out of here. See you later. No refunds. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, don't know, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, I, I would imagine that the fans show up in force with the Confederate flag just to say, this is America. You can't tell me not to bring my flags, but you know, I, I we'll see. What happens if, and I, I don't know if this will happen, but just from kind of the Twitter reaction that I saw, I mean, I, I got some black buddies that are watching NASCAR. Yeah. I mean, they well, were saying, you know what? Hey, that, I mean, they're tweeting out videos of them watching NASCAR and they're cheering for, I, I think Bubba Wallace just became a very popular driver amongst the black community uh, with yeah, it's like, he, whoa, whoa, whoa. there's you tell me there's a black nascar driver i did not know that okay i'm in no i you're probably right he's he's gone from little known uh known in the nascar world obviously to a mainstream star now all of a sudden so that'll be cool that i mean you are right in, in that aspect i, I think we're going to see some serious bubba wallace merch fly off the shelves we're gonna see all kinds of black guys walking around with bubble wallace jackets on those nascar jackets are kind of sick i'm not gonna lie mm-hmm. i mean I, I don't know if i can pull one off but you know what i'm gonna try i'm gonna you try could, Why not? you should walk around in a full loves fire suit nascar driver suit i'll do it i mean that would be that <laughs> would, first warm, of all that'd but... be such a good halloween costume maybe a little toasty but you know maybe that would maybe be, be nice one. and cool in October, I don't. I'd be down to rocket. Could I? I feel like NASCAR drivers aren't that big. And every NASCAR driver I've met, not the biggest human beings in the world. But okay. But here's the thing. Now remember, the pit crew also wears the fire suit. And perfect. The pit crew are all. For, a lot of them are like former football strength style athletes. So when I was playing for the Lions, I actually took the entire offensive line, and we went to. the NASCAR event there at Michigan Motor Speedway or whatever it's called. And it was awesome. And the, the crew chief of the loves car was telling us all about their recruiting for the pit crew. Dude, it's intense. I mean, they send scouts out, they watch film at college basketball players, college football players. I mean, 
I never thought about it. I thought that they just found guys, right? That guys, you know, I don't know, you try out or something, but no, they recruit college athletics intensely to get those guys because you have to be an athletic dude to jump that wall and do all those things that they do. I mean, these guys aren't just slappies. These guys have some athletic ability. Yeah, very athletic. Yeah, they, they, they have a – most of them have a full-on strength and conditioning staff, and, like, that's what they do. The drivers are, you know, working on driving. The mechanics are working on the car, and they work on physical conditioning and, and, and practicing those, those uh, pit stops. And it, if anybody has never watched NASCAR, give it a chance. It, it is kind of an entertaining – and they do a really sure. good job. Everything is mic'd up. They do a really good job with their coverage, but also – NASCAR blends a lot of things and you, you've got your rednecks. You've got the drivers that are all kinds of different kinds of guys. And then the best part about it is the most important part of NASCAR is the nerds. I mean, those engineers that get that car humming, these guys went to MIT and you know, there, there's a lot of guys that, are from India and Asia that come over and these these engineers on these cars are brilliant and it's it's a really interesting sport I know it's a niche sport but if you ever have a chance to go to a race it's kind of fun I've, I've never had a bad time at a NASCAR race just make sure you bring earplugs because oh my gosh it's loud bring earplugs and be ready to see some very interesting people it's like Walmart on a Sunday. It's like if you mixed Walmart and Bourbon Street with a race. <laughs> <laughs> right? With, with heavy machinery. <laughs> with heavy machinery, yes. Yeah. Exactly. All right, Ted, my winner of the week, Dana White. Dana White. I, listen, when he threw out the term Fight Island, I was Sign going – Sign me up. I was going – that sounds incredible. What are the, is this Mortal Kombat? Is this blood sport? It, this sounds, this sounds amazing. You lose, you got to swim home. Now it's not exactly the fight Island we were all hoping for because it is, what is it? Yas Island there in Abu Dhabi where they've actually fought there before. I think back in 2010 is what I read, but he still made it happen. So I'm going to give Dana White some props. He said it long ago that Fight Island was going to happen. And not only is it happening, but there's going to be three title fights on July 11th. I feel like a lot of people came after Dana White when he started saying these things publicly. And he basically called them all nerds, told them to shut up, and that he was going to make it happen. And... Sometimes you just got to give a guy credit. And I, I don't really feel one way or another about Dana White. Never met the guy. Seems, seems like he likes what he does. Seems like he's good at what he does. But he made it happen. And I think he deserves some credit because while everyone else was saying, hey, we got to cancel, 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 he was saying, we're going to stay the course. We're going to test our guys. We're going to buy an island and fight there. And I don't think he bought the island, but I'm sure he's renting it at a premium price. Even better. There in Abu Dhabi. And he made it happen. He made it happen. So I'm going to give the guy his props. He deserves them. He, he's my winner of the week. Yeah, I think, that's, I think it's 
uh, really cool. I've, I've heard him throughout and I just heard a couple of audio cuts from him talking about the process and how it's been a constant battle. Like every time he feels like he's broken through a barrier, there's five more waiting there. And there's been days where he just wants to throw his hands up and, and say, you know what, screw it. We're not going to do it. We'll just wait. But he stayed at it and, Three title fights in on one card is big time, and it's going to be must-see on July 11th, so that's going to be fun. I'm glad they're doing it, and I'm telling you, the more stuff we see, like we've got PGA coming up, we've got NASCAR coming up, we've got um, Fight Island, UFC's going. The more things that we continue to see, the more normal we are, the better we're going to feel about things, and my goodness, do we ever need something else to do right now? Yeah, definitely. Now, no McGregor, no Khabib, no Masvidal, but I'm I'm not going to complain. I'm I'm not going to pretend I'm a big UFC guy anyways, but Fight Island, I know one thing. That has a badass ring to it. It certainly does, and I'm sure they are going to market the absolute shit out of that, and they deserve it because Dana White, the guy made it happen. Feel, yep. feel however you want to feel about the guy. But he made it happen. Now, Ted, my loser of the week goes to Duke Athletic Director Kevin White. Not only did he support his university's arch rival in North Carolina, but I just don't understand any athletic director that takes this position. Now, Kevin White, the athletic director at Duke, he put out a letter on Twitter expressing concerns about where the name, image, and likeness issue is headed in college athletics now he's not the only athletic director that is concerned about these things i mean he's not i think a lot are concerned about some of the unintended consequences when the name image and likeness stuff goes through but he he said he was worried about unfair recruiting advantages how it may affect non-revenue sports worry that athletes will get exploited he mentioned it being unfair to female athletes you know he mentioned a lot of concerns but this is a guy that makes one and a half million dollars a year he is a guy whose basketball coach has gained a significant advantage in recruiting with his relationship with usa basketball and coaching there this is also a guy that hired a consulting firm called Influencer, to study how much Duke basketball players could have made from social media posts last season so they could use it as part of their recruiting to get guys to come play basketball at Duke, Teddy. I don't understand any athletic director that takes this stance. Guys, it's happening. Accept it. Start working on how your school is going to monitor things Start working on giving your student-athletes guidance to make sure they don't get taken advantage of. Stop fighting this fight. It's over. It is over. If you try to fight this fight, guess what? These local governments are going to push these things through, and you're going to have a state-by-state situation. At least try to get a blanket law for everybody. That's... that. That makes sense to me. 
Now, I still think if it's state by state, it would be fine. We have that with all kinds of other laws. But the fact that athletic directors are still taking this route and going with this strategy, it baffles me. This fight is over. It's over, Teddy. It, it is a waste of everyone's time for Kevin White to put something like this out there. Just accept it, move on, and start working on the next phase. Yeah, there's no doubt. You, um, you need to stop trying to keep the boulder from rolling downhill and figure out you know, how you can make it roll into the right direction wherever you want it to because you're right, it's going to happen. Um, it's going to phase in. It probably won't take very long at all for it to phase in, and guys are going to start making money. So you need to figure out how to take advantage of the situation. And what I mean by that is not take advantage of the players, but build it up, put in some type of, uh, of system to where you can help those guys whenever they get there, get the most out of their image and likeness, create opportunities for them, help them put together, uh, you know, whatever workshops or um, a, a group there at the university that can vet different people that are trying to come to the players. You know, there's a bunch of different things you can be doing to help recruiting and going out there and putting out, you know, statements about how you're so concerned about it. Not necessarily one of those. If you're worried about, um, you know, it being unfair to female athletes, put together a group that's going to go out there and find some money for the female athletes in the community. If you're worried about guys getting taken advantage of, start putting together classes and, and educate a, them. A group that can help steer them away from, from some of those situations. All of those things that you're worried about, instead of trying to stop it because of those worries, how about you start preparing your players for those worries and turning it into an advantage for your university? That's what I'm saying. Like, you need to be proactive about it you need to start working on it because i mean this train has left the station the name image and likeness thing is going to change and it is going to change soon so stop trying to prevent it from happening because it is a foregone conclusion and start working to make sure that your student athletes can maximize their earning potential while still getting their education and working towards a degree and do what's best for them. Don't go, hey, we're worried. No, start working to do what is best for your student athletes. That's your damn job. Okay, so I've, I've said my piece about Kevin White. And really, you're going to come out and say you agree with Bubba Cunningham? You can't agree with the people at North Carolina. Kevin White, what are you doing? What, yeah, you never – you could maybe think that. and Don't uh, say it. You don't say it, at least not publicly. There's no way. Yeah, you're, you're right on that for sure. Yeah, you don't say it. All right, all right, Ted, let's move on to keeping it local, everyone's favorite, where we highlight what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma. Now, we've had a lot of fun, right, just talking sports this podcast so far, but there is still some very serious stuff going on in the country it doesn't seem like the protests are slowing down you know you you can still see people's passion in the streets like you mentioned ted i mean we saw nascar ban the confederate flag so it, it, it's still 
a very racially charged environment right now in the United States. And it comes out this week that Russell Westbrook is producing a documentary series about the 1921 Tulsa race massacre titled Terror in Tulsa, The Rise and Fall of Black Wall Street. Now, we all remember Russell Westbrook and what he did for Oklahoma on the court and off the court, right? Probably the most loved sports figure we've had in the last decade. I don't think there's any doubt about that, especially since, you know, the Durant thing ended how it did. But Westbrook's had in his 11 years as a member of the Thunder in Oklahoma, it, it opened his eyes to the, quote, rich and sordid history of the state. Now, that's a very good way of him to put it. That basically, he said, hey, I lived there long enough to understand the good and the bad. And I'm going to assume that most people that listen to this podcast are familiar with what happened to the Greenwood District in Tulsa back in 1921. Uh, Now, I feel like my assumption may be incorrect because I saw a lot of people that grew up in Oklahoma, went to Oklahoma schools that didn't even know uh, about the Tulsa race massacre. And that that shocked me because, I, I mean, I... I learned about it in school multiple times. But I think this is a big-time move for Russell Westbrook. I think it shows that he still really cares about Oklahoma and Oklahomans. And I do think it's really important that people understand this piece of Oklahoma history. Uh, As terrible as it is, as terrible as it is, and I know that, you know, some people say that you know, 60 people were murdered. Some people say it could be as many as 300 black people were murdered there in Tulsa. But I think this is important work from Russell Westbrook because people need to be educated about this, even as uncomfortable as it may be. I think it's important. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, um, it's a story that needs to be told. And I'll tell you that I don't remember learning about it in school now i've read things since i've read uh stories and articles and information on it since uh so i have a a limited knowledge of it i'm interested to to watch the documentary um i'll be ashamed when i watch the documentary but i'm still interested to watch it and i don't know i think it's important work i think uh the stories need to be told I think there's um, a lot of truth to what Russell Westbrook said about Oklahoma, uh, a rich and sordid history. So um, with the good things in the state, you got to also learn the bad things in the state. Uh, If you don't learn from the mistakes of uh, the people that were here before you, you're um, inclined to possibly repeat those mistakes. So uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's cool that he's doing it. I think he's, he's obviously poured some good money into this and telling this story for a lot of people that don't know anything about it. I mean, around here, some people do, but you know, and obviously nationally people do as well, but it's, it's not a story that has been taught like a lot of the other situations that have happened in the, in the past in in Oklahoma or even in the country. So no, I think it's important work that Russell Westbrook's doing for sure. 
Yeah, I think once this comes out, people are going to know who Dick Rowland is and people are going to know who Sarah Page was and, you know, how that entire situation, you know, kicked what is one of the worst things in Oklahoma history off. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the final product looks like. And I'm sure it'll be very educational for a lot of people around the country that frankly had no idea that this happened. So I think it's important. It's going to be uncomfortable for a lot of us, especially Oklahomans, but we're tough. We'll, we'll, we'll be able to uh, be able to watch this and, and learn. And that's the important part, right? We've talked about the importance of listening and educating yourselves right now. And this is another way to do it, right? Another way to understand what's going on in the country. And a couple other notes uh, for stuff going on around the state. They just reopened the Oklahoma uh, bombing memorial. So I know that they're, you know, they're allowing people to come through and see the memorial in, in downtown Oklahoma City. So if you have a chance, you've never seen it, go see it. I think that capacity is limited, but uh, I know that they open their doors. We always talk about how important it is for people, not just Oklahomans, anyone, to go check out the memorial. And then an interesting note for our listeners in Tulsa, President Trump, said he will resume his campaign rallies next week, starting with Tulsa, Oklahoma on Friday. So prepare yourselves, Tulsa. I'm sure that that is going to be quite the scene. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, I bet the police force in Tulsa was like, oh, just... Dang it, because I'm telling you that's it's um there's gonna be a lot of people there protesting. You know, and that's that's just that's just how it's gonna be. There's gonna be a lot of people there protesting. I mean, we've seen before at some of these events, uh Trump supporters going into the rallies being attacked outside as they go in in less much less volatile times than right now. So it's it's going to be a dangerous situation. Hopefully everyone can, can, uh, you know, protest, stay calm and be nonviolent. That's all I ask. I'm just, I'm just going to warn people of Tulsa. You combine a couple of these things, right? People learning uh, about the Tulsa race massacre and, you know, the feelings that people have about that. You combine that with the protests that are going on in the country. And then you combine that with President Trump showing up on June 19th, which a lot of people know as Juneteenth. So it is going to be a very, I would say, a very tense situation there in Tulsa. So just just a warning to all our Tulsa listeners, hey, make sure you you stay safe, right? So it'll it'll that'll be an interesting mix of things. I'm sure Tulsa will have a robust police presence around the area. At least let's hope. Uh, try and make sure things stay calm. And um, I'm all for everyone going down there and protesting, chanting, doing all the things that they want. Trying to 
make sure that their uh, voices are heard, concerns are voiced, but please, no violence, no destruction of property. Right. And if I remember correctly, now I'm trying to remember Juneteenth. I think it was when the Emancipation Proclamation was read to the last state. And I want to say it was Texas. I don't remember. I'm not going to, my history teacher is going to be very disappointed in me. I hope that's right. Or else I'm going to sound like a complete idiot. Help me out, Teddy. You're the history buff. I do not know. Uh, I don't think that was taught in, at least I wasn't, (laughs) I didn't lock it in whenever I was there, which there's a lot of things that was taught that I don't remember, but um, I'm not sure. I wish I could back you up on that, but I'm not sure. Well, we'll see. I mean, we don't, we don't really talk politics on here. We try to steer away from it, uh, even though it's kind of intertwined with sports right now, but it's going to be an interesting, interesting atmosphere there in Tulsa next Friday. So just like you said, Teddy, everyone be safe, take care of each other. You know, that's, that's what we do here in Oklahoma. All right, Ted, let's finish like we always do. And that is with a Twitter question from the listeners. And this one comes from Jackson Moore. Now, we've done one of Jackson's questions before, but this one was really good. So we're doing another one of Jackson Moore questions. Keep them coming. At Jackson Moore 1, he says, if you could have played another sport and gone pro in it, what would it have been and why? Like Realistically, or if I could just choose another sport to have gone pro in? Let's go with realistically. Okay. It probably baseball. Um, I, my dad was a, my dad was a baseball player. He, you know, coached some of my teams whenever I was younger. I was probably a better baseball player than I was anything, but I was just so bored by the sport that I, I wanted to give it up. And in hindsight, my dad was probably right, and it's incredibly difficult to, to make it to the pros in baseball, though. You have to have a lot of things happen uh, in your favor. You have to – there's some luck definitely involved, but it probably would have been baseball. Same. What about you? Baseball? Same. Yeah, and I, I regret quitting baseball. I just, I just stopped liking it. I was good at it. It was probably my best sport, honestly. Uh, I was a better baseball player than I was a football player. And I just I just lost interest, played too much, and then got to high school. And there's so much time you had to put in for baseball, and you had to, like, break the field and stuff. And I was just like, eh, you know what? <laughs> and I, I threw hard. But, yeah, I always wonder. Every once in a while I wonder, you know what, if I would have just – Put everything to the side and gone with baseball. What would have happened? Uh, you know, I I had the velocity probably, but who knows? You'll you'll never know. But definitely, baseballs. That's an easy answer for me because I couldn't have played pro basketball. Uh, too short. No. And then I didn't really play anything else. I mean, I stopped playing soccer long ago. Was not nearly crafty enough. Didn't flop enough for that. So. It would definitely be – so we're both – we both would have been Major League Baseball players. We wouldn't get drafted like Cade Cavalli did. What, 22nd overall? 
to the Nationals. And then uh, do you see um, – I mean, it's it's good, but it's not good that the Ed Howard kid that was committed to OU, he went 16th to the Cubs. He's never showing up in Norman. Wow. Dang it. Yeah. That's unfortunate. I mean, happy for the kid. But yeah, good for dang. you guys, but see ya. We want to recruit guys that are good, but not that good. That's a weird thing in baseball. You got to kind of thread the needle. Nah, he's too good for us to recruit. Wait, what? Yeah, he's going to get drafted. That's hard to figure out, man. That's tough. Yeah. Well, congrats to those guys. It could have been us, Teddy. That could have been us if we just would have if we would just would have stayed with it. We'll never know, though. I had a problem with. I played kind of all over the field. I played center. I played third. I played catcher. But I would get like I would get so bored out on the field that I would like start daydreaming. And I'm like, I'm with you. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, oh, it's wait, hot. Oh, it's hot. I've been standing around for 30 minutes. Like, I just want to run. I want to smash something. I want to. I just want to go. And it was. It was just too much idle time for me, man. But yeah. yeah, we'll never know. I think a lot of people feel that way when they play baseball, and a lot of people feel that way when they watch baseball. Oh, wait, no one's watching baseball because they can't figure it out. <laughs> wait, I cannot, I cannot violate my boycott of baseball and talk about them because until something happens, I'm boycotting. All right, Ted, episode 15 in the books. Now we'll have wow. a new podcast that'll drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400, and you can hear me on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. And just one more reminder that if you're interested in sponsoring the podcast during football season, you can email Teddy and me at theoklahomabreakdown at gmail.com, and we will get you the sponsorship packet that is, I I will say, beautifully done. Work of art. But until next time, we hope you guys have a great weekend. We appreciate y'all for listening and do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.